0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 426 of Concerted Criticism. I'm Eric Spencer, and I'm joined by my co-host, a man that has not give, been given a proper shout-out. He's been on this this entire podcast for well over a year. Abe Stein, you literally have more episodes than some of my original co-hosts. How are you feeling?
1: It's, uh, it's pretty humbling. I was also thinking about it. This is the first episode that you and I have done together without Mason. As well, so it's my first time getting to do friends. a CC with uh with Spencer himself. I get to I get to have the experience that
0: so many co-hosts, great co-hosts before me have had. Abe, you're great. Mason is great. I only rejoined the podcast because you two are so great. But I I gotta ask you, man. Like, what is this? Like fifty eight episodes now for you. Like you you are crushing it, dude. Like you you're really here. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's uh. I
1: just remember it was sometime in the spring uh, over the pandemic where Mason asked me, it was like after the Lotus box stuff had wrapped up, we'd had like some conversations about improving at magic and he wanted to have me on the podcast, talk about goals. And then he was like, yeah, that was really
0: good. You want to do that a lot more times. And I was like, my my perspective is so different (laughs) from yours, which is like, I was his boss and I was like, I, I won't say, I won't say what I said, but I was like, Hey man, like I, I need a change to happen. And I really like it. Can we make it? <laughs> I, and I, I just thought that you were so amazing. And even in the time that like I've gotten to do with you in the meetings, where like we talk about like the future of the show, and even like your want, I think I think you have a similar want for me, where like show notes are important to you. Like even even this week, as you, we'll get into the show with uh with Derek, like we both were editing show notes live where we both really wanted to just make the best show possible. And I think that you really aligned with me on that. And I really appreciate you. So before we get into how much I love Abe, though, because, you know, we could probably get into that later. Abe, what was your always improvement on this week?
1: Yeah, so my always improvement this week came from an article that it was actually, it's a blog post that was kind of making its way around Twitter another time recently called uh, How to Get Worse at StarCraft 2. And at the crux of this article is the idea that the way that people get worse or they stop improving and they start plateauing is that they start sacrificing their long-term growth and they sacrifice it for their short-term gain. And that the big thing to be seeking out if you're trying to improve is positions that make you uncomfortable or that you know you might be doing something that's going to make you make a mistake where you might be less comfortable than you would be because that's how you will grow. And it's not a blog post I had not read before. um, And it's not even unsimilar to some of my favorite Magic articles. But thinking about it... Can I ask
0: you a question? Is this similar to like Magic players going really hard on the control or aggro route? Because like, one of the things that we know about Magic is like, when you play a lot of limited, you just end up in the mid-range category a lot. And you get to understand fundamentals of magic in that space, in, like, that pivoting space, which we'll talk about with Derek later in the episode, but, like, I I don't play StarCraft too, so I want to know is, like, is there a difference between, like, the Terrarian, the Terrans, the the Zergs, the, like, is is there, like, a real... The Zergs are clearly aggro,
1: right? The way that the writer talked about it and and i would absolutely suggest that you go and read um read the blog post you can find it it's just called how to get worse at starcraft 2 is that what he was doing is he was playing Terran over and over again on ladder and he was really trying to get better and it wasn't until he played some other game that he realized that what had happened to him and Terran where he wasn't getting any better was that he at some point had stopped caring about deviating his openings he was he was like he was playing the same way every time and not doing a different strategy (laughs) this
0: makes so much insertarian (laughs) it's kind of crazy
1: yeah so like he's he's not using a different strategy he's leaning on his strengths too much and not bolstering his weaknesses or not employing other game plans and then making worse strategic decisions because of it because he feels uncomfortable doing those things and instead of grinding into him a new skill, yeah. he was falling back on his short term. And so But the, at the crux of it is, yeah, be uncomfortable and push yourself to do those things that you are uncomfortable with, right? If that means playing a deck that you're less comfortable with, playing a new deck, or you know, trying out a different configuration of the archetype you usually play, do that and learn something because it will make you better in the long term. And so the way that, that manifested itself for me this week was at the RCQ that I played um, the last RCQ of the season, uh, where I was choosing between Red, Black, which I, I've i played a lot of, and I feel very comfortable with, because I feel comfortable knowing what's going on in the Pioneer format. Um, you know, I feel comfortable enough to say, let's do an entire episode on Red, Black, like we're doing today, um, and getting to talk about it with uh, with Derek. It's going to be great. But I just listened to Mason, because he was like, dude, Mono green's really good. You'll figure it out you know what you're doing, you just need to practice a little bit and you'll be able to do it. And I was like, you know what? I've been avoiding playing mono green because of all of these things that I think about it and about like playing a mirror match and, you know, navigating that being kind of like off-putting or, you know, what about the decks that are trying to exploit mono green and not really embracing just the power level of green? And in my first round of that tournament, I immediately lost to Jeskai Ascendancy in two games...
0: Playing
1: mono green, right? You played mono. Green. Yeah, I pl- I wound up playing mono green because I wanted to push myself into a zone that was making me uncomfortable. And immediately, I in that in that RCQ, I lost my first round to a Jeskai ascendancy combo deck because I just made really avoidable tactical errors. And I was like, wow, there's so much more to this deck than I had given it credit for. And I'm only experiencing this and learning it and appreciating it because of this. And it really motivated me to reignite that kind of yeah. drive when it comes to the way i'm thinking about and playing the games of magic and i felt like i i had to play every round of that uh, for fdrsq i couldn't draw on a top eight and i wound up having my run cut short in top four by bant humans because i just got like reflector mage twice and even in that game i felt like i could have i played like five turns in each of the games yeah. and i felt like i could have played them better but just playing with that mindset really it, it felt good to put myself in a position of hey don't feel really comfortable with everything you're doing. Don't know all the answers or don't feel like, you know, all the answers do something new and, and allow yourself to be uncomfortable because that's how you'll grow. So
0: one of the questions that we got that we'll talk about in the Patreon only episode that we'll do tonight, it was kind of understanding like, how do you decide who you listen to? Because it wasn't in our Patreon only episode. It was actually in another channel, but we're going to include it. My answer to this question was like, if somebody can give me their why, like, and somebody can give me their why multiple times, where it's like, why do I believe this? Why do I believe that I believe this? And then what is the result of me believing this? I'll probably believe them. Even if I think they're wrong, I still will listen to them. And you do a really good job of this. And it is one of the reasons that anytime I actually got asked for Hammer Time coaching, like, two weeks ago. I don't remember who asked me. And I was like, you don't want to ask me. I'm going to play Hammer Time this weekend. I'm going to play an RCQ with Hammer Time. And I already am suggesting you. Because, like, there's an amount of, like, this understanding that you have that I think that people should appreciate. Last week, while I wasn't on the show, you talked about how you haven't played Magic very often. And I, I've been in the same place. Like, we, you and I have been here together. It doesn't diminish how we feel about certain things. Uh, we're going to talk to Derek here in a little bit. And I think that he actually exemplifies a lot of my feelings. And also diminishes some of my feelings. And, like, gets me to feel like an understanding where Derek does a really good job of explaining. I, it, like, legitimately, I think Derek is going to do a really good job in the future of explaining how I feel about Black Red, but I actually think that you do a really good job of this anytime you play a deck. You like, you ask really good questions. So while I completely understand like you losing around one of this event, I actually 3 with this same deck at a local event. I have never, as long as I can remember, 3 to a local event. Like it's been well over a decade since I can remember doing this. I, I don't know if I've ever done it. All of my losses were due to misplays. I think I think this deck's it's really hard. hard. It's a hard deck. And the whole point of me playing this deck was for me to learn. So I, I don't... I love that you picked it up and just jammed it. I'm, I'm going to talk about something a little different. I actually played the exact same deck as Abe and decided not to play. Not because of my 0-3. It was... I'm dealing with a lot of personal stuff. I started a new job, that it has a substantial change in my investment into what I'm doing. In a financial way, in a personal way, in a time commitment way. And it's why I've missed some episodes. Um, I've been interviewing for this job, which Mason and you have talked about why I was missing episodes while I was interviewing for this. This RCU season was really tough for me. I started coverage. I was doing these interviews. I was working a new job. I was changing my schedule. And I don't feel bad about it. Like, so many times people feel like they are failures if they don't achieve their goals. But, like, I didn't know what my goal should be for Magic. I had no idea. Like, I don't know. Am I going to have time to play? I played in four RCQs. I got lose for top eight, top four. 0-2 drop in sealed and concede in a position to stop 8. And I want to talk about that one. My always improving moment is realizing that I'm not okay. My life is really stressful right now. There's just a lot of things going on. And I don't think that it is fair to people for them to compare themselves to others. And for me, I realized as I was up a game in a winning in. And the person next to me won their game that I knew that my match would put me into like the four seed that I couldn't do it. Like I I didn't have three and a half rounds of magic left in me. And, and I think that that's important. I think that too often we put ourselves in positions that are not attainable. And I think that's OK. What I did do is that I focused on what I can do next season. I got my first trophy on arena in a long time with Naya Wolves. I also have updated the list. It is available on both our Patreon discord as well as the cut. If you are a team member of mine, I think that too often we expect too much of ourselves. I know Abe, you've dealt with this. I'm happy if you jump in, but like it's not fair to expect yourself to do more than you're capable of. Especially when you think about like family and like other stuff. And I think that if I wasn't doing coverage, I would have qualified for the RC. Also, I'm gonna to go to the RC. I'm gonna go play these ten Ks. I'm gonna go do this fun thing. It just doesn't matter. It's like Yeah. It's so free to like I like, think that if I can if I can step in. I think that there's
1: like a lot of players and there's a lot of players who I know who are really good who did not qualify for this RC. I know I didn't qualify for the RC. If I wind up going and LCQing, maybe I'll get in. But, you know, I know players... Alex Mandleton, who is one of the best players in He's so good and so great. Art. He's also a sweetheart. Yes. They they were at the RCQ that I played this weekend. They did not make top eight. They are not qualified for the RC. They top aided a Pro Tour in the last five years. Think about that. If you're someone who's reflecting on this RCQ season and feels like they did not achieve their goals and they're a failure, there are players of all skill levels who will not play the, the first regional championship. And it's not, it's not an indictment on you. There are plenty of things that... There are plenty of reasons. I only played four events because I was worried about the Omicron had, variant of COVID-19. Let's
0: be clear. And you I had me. a
1: new job, yeah. and I have to be really considerate of, you know... Uh, the people who i who i'm around visiting there's a lot of a lot of all of this and um you know everyone has their reason for doing or not doing things everyone has their priorities and it's okay even if magic was your number one priority if you did not qualify because you will grow from the experience you had and you'll be okay and it's it's important to note and not spread yourself too thin and to make sure you are prioritizing magic in in the right way and allowing yourself to enjoy it like spencer said if you didn't qualify, that's not a reason to not go get a dream hack badge and go yeah. to the regional championship and celebrate what is one of the biggest W's for American magic in the last decade. Yeah. Is the return it's of a so system good. that puts exciting events on the map for players at a local level. And this is this is going to be one of the like most amazing feeling rooms I can I can imagine as far as an energy in a tournament hall. And I will be sad if I wind up having to
0: miss it. I want to clearly really quickly talk about Standard, because in all honesty, like, I've been working really hard on this Nihilist... post-game against a lot of the fields. So that is my most important moment.
1: I also want to say that I think that what you're doing and looking forward to Standard as the the format for the next RC in the season is the exact kind of thing that you should do if you're someone who's, you know, feeling disappointed about their performance in this uh, RCQ season. They felt like they wanted to qualify, as you know. Take some time. Give yourself a break. Recharge. But, you know, keep your eyes pointed forward. You're not going to get very far looking backward. Look towards the next format. Look towards those RCQs you're playing. And, I have been RCQ this
0: weekend, man, and I think I said this on the episode, but like I'm playing Hammer Time. Like I'm I'm going to go all out Bonk. balls out. Is that the way it, balls to the walls? I don't know how they say this anymore. I'm a boomer now, Ed. but like I have a pretty strong belief that like Hammer Time in Utah super are underrepresented. You know, I don't think is underrepresented? it's underrepresented is our patrons. I think I sent this to you. Do we have two hundred percent? No, it was more than that. It was four hundred percent growth this year on Patreon, dude.
1: Yeah, that's a lot of percent,
0: dude. I I we don't have any patrons to shout this week, but I just want to shout them all out. I'm gonna cry. Uh, it it means so much to me. We're not to like the the hinder father level of patrons, but we're to the hinder love hinder father level of listeners, and it is. Unbelievable. We had 20,000 plus listeners in the last 90 days. Like, Abe, I, I don't know how you felt looking at the numbers when I sent them, but I, I would love to hear your thoughts on like seeing that. You know, you
1: said it at the beginning of the episode. I've been here for just over a year, and I can remember. And I've said this on Path was, Episodes. I can was, remember. It was less than five. It here. was a very different atmosphere in the Discord. It was a very different you know, a very different approach we had to have for what people were caring about and what kind of content we were bringing and making for people when it came to the the show every week. Seeing the community as active as it is, this morning when I posted our ping for questions, seeing like five great questions immediately hit the chat, at like 10am I was like oh my god this is the life this is what it is this is what it's supposed to be and it it really meant a lot to me so I, I look forward I, to the next 400% of growth that obviously we will get It's 400% year over year investors yeah let's go You know, get in now that's how, that's how yeah, the growth that's model how works.
0: works I love it dude but I, honestly like I had the same reaction like I was gonna post something and then you posted it and like it already blew up and I was like oh man like we're living such a sweet life Like, legitimately, I was so grateful. So, if you want to support the show, though, and you don't want to go to patreon.com, which you should, you can still go to our sponsor at Gingrid Lehigh, legitimately, gglehigh.com. The referral link is in the show notes, but you can get 10% off Abe if you use the code ccmdg 10 at checkout, and not to mention, they sponsor our open series. So we're going to pick the date for the next one soon. And uh, the trophies behind me, I'm going to send that out to our last winner. As well as the wristbands for our patrons. Dude, like this is going ham. Like things are popping off. My life changes are settling down a little bit. I get to do the things that we're trying to do. And like that trophy sick. I already talked to the winner. He's super excited about it. I'm so glad that we get to support the magic community this way.
1: Yeah, it's awesome. I just want to say, if we when those wristbands go out, shout out to the patron Mason, not the co-host Mason, but the patron Mason was at my RCQ, didn't recognize me. Probably he was wearing a mask, and he he probably just listens. It was like thought he knew who I was, and then didn't say anything. And I was like, man, if I had a CCMTG
0: wristband, I'm really looking forward to those. I think those are going to be awesome. I have so many like for those. There's a box behind me uh, that Abe can see. That box is literally full of wristbands.
1: It's going to be popping at the RC. I have so
0: many wristbands to give out. And and honestly, like, what's so funny is that, I'll I'll say this right now. People were like, Spencer, why are you giving out wristbands? Nobody wants wristbands. Everybody wants them. Everybody. They're like, Spencer, you don't know what you're talking about. This white wristband I'm wearing right here, this is glow in the dark. I wear this to bed. My wife is like, yo, turn on the lights. Let's go. <laughs> We're back with Derek Pike. I'm not gonna lie, Derek. I thought your name was Pike. I don't know if that has to do with how Canadians say their T's. Uh, but I, I thought your name was Pike the whole or Pike the whole time. Do Canadians say their T's weird? I've never Utahns heard. Of do. So I'm from Utah and we say mountain and we say Britain. So we don't actually say our T's. So when you hear a T, you just assume it's wrong from where I'm from. Uh, all right, yeah. Uh, <laughs>
2: I, I guess uh, I've never I've never been to U- Utah or uh, any
0: of that area of America long enough to pick it up. But well, I mean that some, makes sense. If you got some time before the uh, RC, you uh, in the United States the weekend before, and you want to come down, I am happy to uh, to room you and take you out. I'm, I'm taking Sam Blackton to that weekend, so you know, just oh nice.
2: All right. Well, yeah, that's that's interesting. I'll, I'll think about that while I think about next time I talk to uh, some Italians about how to... <laughs> None.
0: None uh, times. <laughs> Any tea? too hard. You've just got to say him, like
2: enunciate it, like
0: really enunciate. Oh, yeah. I actually got in trouble for this in a uh, theater class one time, Abe, where uh, I, we were doing a script. Uh, we, were, we were doing a read-through, and I said written, and they... My theater teacher threw the script at me and said, it's written. The word is written, not written. You're not from Utah in this place, Spencer. So I feel like Romeo and Juliet does take place in Utah, though. <laughs> <laughs> I, the, I hope Ohio is for lovers, so I think it's from Ohio. <laughs> so, so, Derek, for those who don't know, because we, we're already way too far into Utah lore. You're not here to talk about Utah. You're actually here to talk about red, black, mid-range, and Pioneer. It is a deck that you are extremely familiar with. I believe you've top aided. Is it four plus challenges and you have two plus wins? Is that correct? I have three wins and three or four other top yeah. eights. Okay, so I was right with both the, the things I said. We got, yeah, we got exactly. Yep. Yeah, the I, I give myself some wiggle room on the pluses, but you you are intimate with this deck, and in a lot of cases, like people kind of attribute you at this point with this deck in Pioneer. I want to ask you, though, like, why Red Black? Like, why not, like, you know, you think historically about Thoughtseize decks, like, you, there's Jund, there's Grixis, there's there's so many historic Thoughtseize decks. Why is Red Black the thing to focus on in Pioneer?
2: I don't really have, like, an in-depth answer. When I first started picking up Pioneer, uh, when Oda was legal, I just found... A red-black list. I played a lot of Sacrifice. I like mid-range decks, and I was just losing with Sacrifice randomly to random things. And I was like, okay, there's got to be a more powerful deck. I tried some Grixis, tried some Jund. The, the mana in the format's bad. I found a red-black list I liked and then was winning with it. And that's it. You know, power and consistency. And then it fit well in the format. And it, the rest of it just kind of did itself and... I tried some other things, but no matter what I did, red black just was consistently doing its thing, even in a format with expressive iteration and Winota. So,
0: for those kind of unfamiliar with what you're talking about, like are there some key cards that this deck has that you don't really need the green or the blue to kind of, or even the white to to execute with? I mean, Fable of the Mirror Breaker might
2: just be the best card in the format. I don't actually know, like what ranking I would put. Uh, the best cards in pioneer in the format are treasure cruise is up there for sure uh Nythos is up there fable is up there too and i think that like obviously like Thoughtseize decks historically are just middle middle range but with a low power level of um that is pioneer because they ban all the good things i'm very comfortable with just being a 60 40% deck Against a format, like to me, this feels like old standard where before' drain, where they wouldn't print really busted things, and you could just play mid range decks, play them well, and take your sixty forties and be happy with it and yeah, of course, like fable's very powerful and helps with that a lot so fable's
1: really like in your opinion, the linchpin of of what makes the archetype like go from. Oh, this is my like Thought Seizes and Fatal Pushes. They're obviously the good interaction in the format, but that's what enables it to kind of be more than just soup.
2: Yes. I've thought about this a lot because I'm not really sure if putting all the onus on Fable is a good, genuine description of the deck because I do believe that there are other good 2-for-1s in the format. Recently, I added like, Reckoner Bankbuster to the board, and I think that card is really good in the mid-range mirrors. That card's not as good as Fable. Or, like, you could play what's Invoke Despair. That card's not as good as Fable. You could play 4-mana Sorin. That card's not as good as Fable. So, a- as much as, like, like yes. In short, yes. But I do think there are good other fillers. Obviously, the deck wouldn't be as powerful or as dominant. And I'm hesitant to, like, I think it also diminishes the power of some of the other cards, too. You,
0: you know, it's, it's funny, because we, um, we had Soul on the podcast, like, I don't know, what is, like, was it actually just actually a month ago at this point? Yeah, I think it's just about a month. Uh, yeah, and he actually talked about how Fable made him even move off of, like, those green-black-style decks into more of the rack style decks in Pioneer because it just did everything that green would normally do, right? Like, it gives you the mana advantage, it gives you the filtering and the card selection that, like, green normally does, at the or the card advantages, I think, how he called it, but, like... It's interesting to hear you mirror him in this way because, I mean, we all, Sol is like, I mean, he is the king of midrange, right? So, like, having him and you agree on this specific card, I I think it's pretty impactful. Yeah, I mean, I'm
2: also no, uh, I'm not unfamiliar playing any sort of mid range deck myself, and I love a good tireless tracker. I played that card a lot in standard, and I definitely thought a lot about some green-black builds with tireless tracker but the great thing about fable and it it seems kind of silly but it is just an enchantment and it's hard to interact with and so like there's all these little things and they just add up with any other color combination in the format like what are your other threats like five mana to fairy comes down on five fable comes down on three harder to interact with one of the uh like one of the most newer popular decks is enigmatic creation not creation Incarnation. Incarnation. There we go. Thank you, Abe. It's a good, good card because it's hard to interact with. Same thing with uh, creativity, hard to interact with. Uh, the reason those decks aren't dominating the formats because they're just less consistent than Black Red. And so, you sort of like take a look, a snapshot at the format, and you're like, okay, why is Black Red so powerful? And it's like, okay, it's consistent, it's powerful, it's hard to target. And Fable is. That in a nutshell, all three things. I don't think there's any other card in the format that does what Fable does as well as it does.
0: You probably played close to, if not the actual most matches of red black in the world. Just the number of, just the sheer amount of time that you spend on MTGO. If you already have like one piece of advice to somebody picking up this deck for the first time other than just going to your Patreon, which you're welcome to plug, what, what would you say?
2: <laughs> Role assessment is the most important thing in mid-range decks. I have this theory, it's not really fleshed out, but it, if you have like um, a spectrum, you have aggro on one side, control on the other, other side, and combo is somewhere existing, wherever. right? It, mid-range is like in the middle, and because mid-range is in the middle, you have the opportunity to play control or aggressive, depending on where or what you're playing against or what cards you have in your deck understanding your role in each matchup gives you that extra five to ten percent that you need that takes you from like a 60 percent deck to a 70 percent deck to an 80 percent deck and a lot of people fumble the the role of red black and that's why they don't understand why it's good
0: i love everything you just said i think that we're going to get into this later in the episode so i don't want to like take too much across right now but like i was just recommending standard decks today to some teammates Derek and i said the same thing it was like oh i know that i get to be aggressively slanted in game ones in standard is as a mid-range deck which means that if i build my sideboard right i get to pick and pivot accordingly and i think that red black because of the way that it's positioned pioneer gets to do that a lot especially depending on how you build your deck
2: yeah, I mean, I, I agree entirely. And this is one of the main reasons why I like just playing mid range in general. And I would say red black is the epitome of what mid range is. But like I said, the format being kind of underpowered, all of the decks just basically like slot right into an archetype. You have aggressive decks in mono white, mono red. You have kind of combo decks in mono green. And then you have like hard control decks in blue white. And then you have like red black. If you think about this format, it's all just super straightforward in modern it's not like this there's also like 10 times the amount of decks so it's much harder to like pinpoint these things with red black it's just it's very straightforward it's like okay this weekend i want to beat mono green and we want to try to target grease Fang. it's like okay i'm going to put two hearse in the main call it a day and you know it, it can't really get much better than that uh when you're building a mid-range deck i think this is like the second time you brought up kind of the
1: ability for the deck to be flexible. And I know there's a lot of talk about, especially with Liliana the Veil coming into the Pioneer format, there's been a lot of discussion about how the deck should be built. You know, how many of the cards like uh, Graveyard Trespasser are, or, and or like, are those antiquated? Is Liliana the new thing? Is uh, is Shieldred like, actually better than Kalidus? There, there's a lot of these, like, really contentious options because that fine-tuning you're talking about when it comes to the building of Red Black is so important to its success, and I think people really care about uh, knowing about that. So can you kind of, maybe you can take those issues one at a time, can you kind of state your position on all of those those debates and 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 what your thought is on just, that.
0: Just note, Derek, that one of my most viral tweets over the last, like, month is literally me saying that Graveyard Trespasser is bad because Liliana enters the format, and then Sam Black mono-agreeing with me, only to have you go 4-2, so I, got, I gotta hear your opinion.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, Sam Black's been known to have really good opinions about Constructed. Okay, so I guess I'll start this out with, I think about Magic in a very, like, abstract theory way and then we we sort of like pinpoint specifics as we play a bunch so in theory you want to reduce your variance as much as you can and in order while you're doing that you want to make yourself the least um likely to be exploited i believe that with mid-range decks you do this the best i think cards like liliana in the format are objectively good because they're powerful but Liliana is easy to exploit in this format and you and you see that Liliana can be exploited easy by its place in modern it no longer exists you could argue that that is because the the format has sped up a bit with Ragavan but you could also argue that just in general playing a three mana planeswalker that is resource denial when you don't have a way to get ahead in the form of Renin 6 just like consistently doing its thing it, it makes your deck
0: worse because there's other better two for ones in the format i totally agree with you this and i want to i want to really pinpoint this because i i've had a lot of local players come up to me on this Derek, where i have been working with people that i trust a lot like abe Michaela downs and uh, one of the cards that i identified as a really good way to beat liliana was just playing bloodthirsty adversary where it's like okay like sure you get a liliana I'm gonna either kill your Liliana or I'm gonna go way later, and not only am i gonna kill your Liliana, like I'm gonna blow you out. Like you're you're not going to win a resource battle against Bloodthirsty adversary. And obviously you've sidestepped that with your list, but you've done the same thing, right? Where you're like, you're trying to make your deck so streamlined that the resource game favors you and you get to decide what resource you're battling over.
2: Yeah, and th- this is like one of the biggest reasons why I added uh, Re- Reckoner Bankbuster to the board was because uh, I was playing a match once in the mirror. I had four Lilianas in my deck, and my opponent went on the play, turned two, Hearse. And Hearse wasn't necessarily good in the mirror at that point, but I just couldn't play a Liliana on three. It no longer mattered what I did because my, my hand revolved around this Liliana being powerful. Even if I played Fable... My fable loses so much value because I, I can't attack through their board. I can't block well and, and all these things, right? And so, like, with Bankbuster, it, it also helps your Liliana's because, like, you're winning the resource game. But if your opponent ever plays Liliana, you can just attack it for four if they have no board, right? So it, uh, like, obviously, like, that sort of makes Liliana sound good, but without Bankbuster, your Liliana kind of sucks, right? So I think Liliana's really good in specific matchups. Um, whether it be Lotus Field, Mono Green, uh, Enigmatic, uh, Creativity, all this the the go over the top mid range decks or the ones that require a lot of resources and really bad against the aggro decks in the format and medium in the mirror. So I, I only like playing two because like it, it does just smooth out your deck against uh, the decks that you are kind of bad against, but it, it also makes you a little bit exploitable. So I don't like having four for that reason. Edgar tweeted recently, like, you shouldn't be afraid to play 4 ofs. but I think, like, when we're talking about mid-range decks, you really, really, really have to, like, build your deck to beat a format, and not just be like, oh, I'm trying to consistently do the most powerful thing. Because, so, like,
0: I, I don't think that your list disagrees with Edgar's list, like, the, what Edgar was saying for what it's worth, and I want, I want to talk about why, and I want to know if you disagree. Edgar was not saying play these specific cards, Edgar was saying, but well, play what you believe is the strongest and the most points that you can play it. And you did that, right? You, like, so, for example, I have not been on 4 Dreadbore. I think that Sorcerer's Speed Removal, basically it turns your your specific cards, like, uh, into different type, types of, it, it, it changes your sequencing a lot when you have to play Dreadbore. So I have been doing it, like I've been playing an Eliminate or, like, a or other things. You went with four eliminate, four grave trespassers, or graveyard trespassers, two Liliana, two Kroxis. Did you play a, a main deck? Uh, I, I need to pull up your list. Do, you didn't play a main deck, uh, Hearst, did you? No, I've killed yeah, the word. Yeah, that's what I thought. So like you still did what he said, right? Where you went four ofs on push, thought seize, stomp, graveyard trespasser, and then when you didn't go four-ups, you went like, these are the number of things that I need for the, the, the type of deck that I'm playing. Which is what he did, right? Like It's not like all of his deck was 4 us either. You just disagreed with him on what those cards were. I think that's true in
2: some sense. I think the biggest thing that I took away from his like tweet was just that like it looks like a lot of people are using their flex spots to try to target something ineffectively. For example, his edition of Hearse kind of showed that Hearse is just the best thing against graveyard decks. And so, like, if we just want to beat graveyard decks, why are we playing Trespasser? Because they're ineffective to do so. Like, if you want to be targeting something, target it well. And then, like, stop doing the, like, half, like, oh, this card's kind of good here. And it kind of has some value here. And it kind of has some value on spot C. So, like... If it's sixty percent against three things, it's probably as good as being a hundred percent against part A, fifty percent against part B, and zero percent against part C. Right? Whereas Hearst is like bad, not great against Mono Green, not great in Aggro, really good against Grease Fang, fine against the Mirror sort of thing. Right? And so, like, I, I think what he was saying there is is technically correct. Well, I mean, it it is correct, but I, I guess I disagree with the way he. Um, the way he showed it. And, and so I've talked about this a lot in that <laughs> graveyard trespasser and you brought it up uh, graveyard trespasser, isn't a good card, but graveyard trespasser covers enough bases against the the format where it's sort of like a, a little bit of a glue. It's like, yes, if there was a better card for graveyard decks, I would just play four of those that also attacked my God. opponent. That also had Ward discard
0: a card. So, I, I think that the thing that ends up being true here, I'm I'm anti-Trespasser. And the reason is because I think it's really bad in the mirror. It's against Liliana specifically. So, the question then becomes, are graveyard decks, and I believe that the answer of this is becoming more true as we see Abzan take up, are, are graveyard decks enough to make a split necessary, right? Because like, it, if if all you're worried about is the red block mirror, there's no reason to play trespasser, right? Like, croxa is not a big enough thing. Like, oh, you disagree? I I need to hear your opinion, man. Like, you think Krooksa is the big enough thing? So I I gotta hear this. But like, to me, it it is like Lilian is so good in the mirror against the person that's like, if if you got to kill their two drop with your one drop or, or your 2-drop, whatever, remove us while you're playing, and then you get a Liliana, their 3-drop, like, you're so far ahead, unless specifically they have Kroxa.
2: Uh, yeah, I, I disagree with that really heavily, and I think that um maybe you are gaining a lot of advantage with Liliana against players who aren't exploiting your Lilianas, which is one thing that, like, I'm trying really hard to not be exploited, and I'm trying really hard to exploit my opponent. So, for one, I think that Croxa. Castle Loctwain, Fable, and Bankbuster are the four best cards in the mirror. Not in that order, but they are the four best because they pressure the opponent, they get you card advantage, and they allow you to play whatever role you want to. Castle Loctwain being a land, obviously you just want to play lands. Fable, the most powerful card in your deck. Bankbuster being a creature that pressures the best card that you think or one of the best cards in the mirror as Liliana also gets you cards, hard to interact with. And then Croxa uh, is like, if your opponent ever flashes back a Croxa, it it no longer matters if you kill it immediately because it's been a three for one. And sometimes it's just an incidental, in like it get, draws you a card of Blood, it draws you a card of Fable. It is always uh, a pressure piece. It's a six six. If you don't kill it, you lose. And so there's a lot of moving parts, and this all works into the assessing your role thing, where it's like, okay. If you think that Liliana on three, when you're on the play is good against my two drop, okay, I'll play Bankbuster on two. Or I will, like if you kill my two drop, I'll stomp plus hold up push. Or I will play Fable. You tick out, we'll both tick, we'll both discard a card. So we're at card parity basically because I have a Fable. You have to deal with this goblin and the backside. So we're at at card parity, but I have board presence. This Liliana isn't doing anything. And if at any point my resources are better than yours. You're like in this weird spot where your Liliana is actually a detriment to you. So you're kind of playing this like weird, like the mirror is incredibly weird. At one point, like I kind of thought I've said it a couple of times. I think it was random, but it's not random because like your choices don't matter. It's random because at any point you can draw something that completely swings
0: the matchup or like you can make a small choice that completely changes everything. What's funny is you said that we were, Opposed? And I actually think we're aligned here. I, I think that my question was more about Liliana versus the the um, the Grave the, the Drassbresser. But I actually think that you and I are aligned on, like, one of the reasons that I like Bloodthirsty Emissary is that it, it is good on both sides, right? It's good against Liliana on both sides of it. And then one of the things that I like about what you said is, like, Bone Crusher Giant, which is a card that... You have to decide how many you want of it. If you want to play something like what there's adversary with, do you want to play something like Chandra? But like, you know, there are, there are only so many spots that you can play four of us. And you actually have already talked about like multiple times where cards that should be considered flex slots kind of aligning to this. No, like if your opponent is trying to get an advantage here, these like just good cards are still just good. I
1: think that, you know, in regards to, like, Liliana versus Trespasser, something that I've noticed a lot about... I mean, think it's just Liliana the Veil, the card in general, over my years of playing with it since it was printed. And part of the reason it's such a great card, not just on the level of power, but on, like, gameplay experience, is that it is such a unique set of questions to be asking on the game of, like, are my resources more valuable than my opponent's resources in hand? You know, like... Obviously, Edicting your opponent is pretty powerful, but it's pretty contextually powerful. And Liliana is a card that is actually just draining the game of resources and incentivizing you to, to trade off resources quickly to try to wind up ahead with the Planeswalker itself against everything else. But I think that, especially as it comes to Trespasser and Liliana in opposition against each other, outside of Liliana, there is, and I guess Shouldered now, there's like there's not a single card... That exchanges profitably with Graveyard Trespasser, while well, Graveyard Trespasser does productive things, even if they're not the most maximally impactful th- things, in the black-red mirrors, in the aggressive matchups, in the control matchups, like Ward discard a card on just a 3-3 with no other text is a really impactful body to have. And the fact that it does all this other stuff is upside. I- and I can't tell you the amount of times that as like a mono red player early on in Pioneer playing against. Uh, red Black, I found that the games where that's, I would win were the ones where my opponent true. allowed allowed yeah. me to make a positive exchange with like my prowess creatures because they blocked, and I didn't have to discard a card to the Trespasser, or like two for myself on it. I was able to like get them in combat with it, and otherwise I would like fall behind the card or not be able to like play the game through the card because it was asking me to do too much to clear it. So I, I think it's like, you know, Liliana's obviously one of the best cards in Pioneer. I think it's one of the the strongest cards they've put into the format, like just in the in a vacuum. Liliana is one of the best cards. In, in, in a vacuum, I agree. Yeah. But also, it is an exploitable card in the sense that its play patterns are not ones that are always beneficial every time in the same way that when you cast a Fable the Mirror Breaker, you're always getting upside through the entire time that permanent's in play. Yeah. Right? Liliana, its fail states are all pretty good, right? It's like, all oh, a discard card I don't need for a card you don't need. Or maybe you do need. Or like it's I'll minus it and I'll just trade my Liliana for your creature and you'll attack it. That'll be fine. But that's kind of less and less what games tend to be about. Whereas Trespasser is kind of like always doing something to the rules of engagement. Yeah. Um, even if it's
2: less. I, I guess I got got a little lost in the Liliana v. Trespasser thing.
0: No, um, I, think, I think that's okay. Because I think that's an important question. So
2: Yeah, I... I think, like like Abe said, Liliana is objectively very powerful. Um, Trespasser is kind of just a 3-3 three, three for 3 that, that does some things some amount of the time and has discard ward. Like I know I'm just describing the card, but it, that is kind of what it does. I played Edgar's List with no Trespassers, and my biggest problem was that Liliana doesn't end the game. It, it's powerful. It's removal. It's a resource denial. I played against blue-white, and I had a hard time beating them. Because I played a Liliana, and they played a Wandering Emperor. and I looked at them and go,
0: okay, cool, we're going to stare at each other. We're both
2: going to discard cards, and I'm going to lose.
0: (laughs) I do do think that Liliana's problem in this format, and and in modern format, is what you just described, right? Like where you're supposed to be at parity to take advantage of Liliana, but you actually kind of need to be ahead to take advantage of Liliana at this point. That can be rough sometimes, right? Because, like, it means that when you play it, if that minus doesn't pull you ahead and it puts you at parity, then the is bad. I touched on this a little bit earlier, but there are so many ways to gain advantage
2: in Magic now, like, that aren't necessarily always two-for-ones, but are, like, small little edges, like the Wandering Ember, for example. Not exactly always a two-for-one, but a potential two-for-one controls the board. Uh, Five-minute Teferi is another one. We're not talking about like literal divination. We're talking about like, okay, Liliana is sort of a two for one, but it gains a little bit of advantage. Graveyard Trespasser is kind of not really a two for one, but sometimes is. And, but like, we'll kill the opponent. Bonecrusher Giant is sometimes a two for one, but there's not always an X2 in play or whatever, whatever, whatever. It, if you use your cards and assess your role, you will win. If you use your like pseudo two for ones, the best. And I think like Liliana prevents you from doing that some amount of the time. Not always. Sometimes it enables that. But the times it prevents you from doing that, you will lose to your opponent's pseudo two-for-ones because they have priority over the game, especially if that's what you're doing yeah. on turn three. Because there's so many – like same thing in Modern. The, the format's really sped up. With Liliana also being in the format, everybody sort of notices, oh, Liliana it. turns three and four – I have to do some things on turn one and turn two. If you don't have an interactive answer on turns one and turn two, your Liliana does nothing. You're dead. You're exploited. It's the same thing over and over again. And so, like, yeah, Liliana is objectively powerful. I only like two for these reasons. Like, sure. you can argue that I, I could play, like, more Strangles, add another Liliana, really play more of a mid-range and control game. Yeah. I just like cutting Liliana. but I, yeah,
0: I, I, I think that... One of the, we'll get into this later in the episode, but I I really liked your answer here. What what type of metagames do you like black red in? Like, is there a is there like a sweet spot for it? I would love to play against white red heroic all day. There was
2: like a two week period where everybody was like, "Oh, white red heroic beats mono green," and I was like, "Yes, stop playing mono green and play white red heroic, please. I'm begging you." and Canister would go on his stream and he played against Doomwake and he's, and Doomwake sideboarded awfully and everybody's like, oh my god, Red Black can't beat White Red Heroic. I'm like, yes, good, let's go. Everybody, please, I, <laughs> register your White Red Heroic deck. And then there was a time where people were like,
0: Mono Blue Spirits
2: beats Monogreen. I'm like,
0: I don't know if that's true, but I can't it lose the Monoblue. It Mono is Blue. true, but it is easily the worst. Black Red is easily the very worst matchup for Mono Blue. If Black Red did not exist, I believe that Mono Blue Spirits would be the best deck in Pioneer. Fun there fact. may have been You actually can't beat this deck. Uh,
2: yeah, exactly. And there might have been some anti-Black Red rhetoric. Floating around on Twitter with people who don't know how to use a Thoughtseize properly, or they always just Thoughtseize on one and go, "Oh, my opponent drew cards. How do I beat them?" And it's just like, "I can play Mono
0: Blue and win these events." It's like, "I'm just going to play Strangle. I, You're going to die." And then I, <laughs> like, I, I, I just kept winning. I played a RCQ this weekend, and we'll talk about it. Uh, I actually talked about it before I talked to you historically because of the way that we record this podcast. But uh, I played against Spirits with Black Red at an RCQ recently, Derek, and. My opponent in game one, while they were winning, wanted to leave. Like, they were like, I can't win. Like, I obviously am going to win this game because, like, you moldified, but, like, I actually can't win this match. Yeah.
2: So, in, uh, in the longest way possible, that is the metagame I like to play against. No mono green, no Lotus. I don't think Enigmatic is that bad of a matchup. Same with Niv, but I prefer not to play against either of them. I think there are enough, like, The person who I beat in the finals yesterday of the Pioneer Challenge, uh, Island Go Sam or something, he's playing this red-green Bushwhacker deck. I think if that deck's around, all of these enigmatic decks just can't win ever. So it's like, yes, I want more random, hyper-aggressive, polarizing aggro decks, where it's just like, I'll just play like a three-mana Wrath in my deck, or I'll just play like that. Like a not like a pile blade, but uh, like a, a card yeah. that deals two game, like a freak is cure. Sure, and I'll just saying. like, like I, I can ignore. Like not playing against Lotus, sweet. Not playing against Green, sweet. Easy event. I I think I can beat those decks like forty percent of the time, thirty percent of the time. But I'd rather just play against Heroic and Model Blue. I got I
0: gotta Fury. ask you something because of what you just said, Derek. Because I gotta know, do you feel like you are split there though, where like. If the format gets super aggressive and super combo at the same time, that you'd be in trouble? Thoughtseize is, is my failsafe. So, like, over the past couple of weeks, I've, um like, when I stream,
2: I'm normally trying to figure out how far I can stretch the deck. At one point, I played four Leyline of the Void. At one point, I was playing, like, No Trespassers, right? So, it's kind of a puzzle you have to solve, where it's, like, how much do I actually have to respect um these decks jessie titty pills on twitter she just tweeted like half an hour ago about how good mono white is and how much like what is it, wedding announcement post board is good against black red i know now that i just have to respect mono white more because it, it doesn't matter that i think that's a good matchup i'll just play against it more and if i st- don't respect it they'll just get extra percentage points against me so it's like yes i i am a little bit pulled uh, in a sense that like I'm trying to beat both ends of the spectrum. I think black red is the best deck to do that. But I also think like it, it doesn't exist just in a perfect like 50% here, Sorry. 50% here. It it's like it's mappable. And it's not perfect,
0: Derek. Mono White lost to Black Red with wedding announcement in the finals of our RCQ on Saturday.
2: I think that Mono White has to have the top 10 to 20% of their draws on the play to beat Black Red, but I think they are the best aggro deck to beat Black Red consistently. I also think that Jesse is a much better player than most players I've seen playing the format. And I think that she probably just outplayed her Black Red opponents quite a bit. Like I said, people just always cast Thoughtseize on one and don't hold their removal spells for the right spot. Uh, We talked about small edges and not being exploited for like 15 minutes. It's super easy for... (laughs) for good players to exploit black
0: red players. I got to understand this question and I, it's not in our show notes. I'm going to ask it now, Abe, if that's okay. You keep talking Go about for people displaying their thoughts. is how do you fix that? If you don't have a good reason to cash your thoughts, don't straight up. If you don't have a two
2: drop into three drop into four drop, win the game. Don't catch your thoughts. multiple times. When I first started streaming black red, people were like, I can't win the blue white matchup. I'm like that. That matchup's literally the buy. You just thought them. You get to see what they're doing the entire game, and you just play around it. Unless they have exactly Wandering Emperor and fairy, which is hard to do, you just they get to play the flash game, right? But it, like, it doesn't matter. And they're like, oh, like, how do I fix it? What's the easiest way? I'm like, when are you casting your Thought seasons? And they're like, oh, there's always casting on one. I'm like, why? They're like, what do you mean, why? I'm like, what are we doing with the Thought season on one? You know they get to draw three cards before they can hit Absorb Mana, right? On the draw? They, they get three unknowns and you're expecting them to just always draw bricks. What happens to the times you don't, you just play into their counterspells. Whereas if you thought he's on two and they don't have counterspell, you can jam fable and win the game. Or like, instead of making an attack or like playing your double spell on turn six thought and be like, Oh, I lose to exactly verdict. Maybe if they have March, they eat my den that I'm going to animate instead of playing into verdict. I'm going to hold this thoughts that I've had since turn three. Cause I didn't have a good, like reason to cast it and figure that out most matchups against the aggro matchups, you don't want thoughtsies. in the mirror game one sometimes you want to hold your thought because like you like you said Liliana is very impactful shoulders very impactful cletus fable very impactful uh, i believed in the grix's death shadow mirrors sometimes you want to leave in your thought because if they ever hit an expressive iteration you're just like oh my gosh one mana to trade for the best card in the format let's do that so there are times where like you just want to hold your thought for the turn right before they can cast the impactful spell, and it just completely like wrecks their entire game plan. And you get to see if they have removal, you get to see the other threats they have. It's like, oh, should I fail push this uh, this bone crusher giant? It's like, oh, they have a Kaletus in their hand. I can beat this bone crusher giant, I'll just block it in a couple of turns. I have to kill this Kaletus or else I lose the game. So like the holding your thought until you have a reason to cast them is very important. And something that gets you a lot of, like, small edges. It's all about small edges. And if you can turn those small edges into, like, big, drastic edges against your opponent, you'll just win more. And if your opponents aren't doing that, you can exploit that. It's like, if you're the blue-white player and your opponent always thoughts you on one, it's like, I drew the spell on turn three. They're going to jam into it. The game is over. I have Wandering Emperor. And then you get people being like, oh, my God, blue-white's the best deck. I don't know how to be it with Red Black. Just think about what you're doing. I think uh, I think Reed Duke had a really good
1: article from like back when the Thoughtseus was reprinted in the Theros, just like on a, a primer on casting Thoughtseize, Definitely worth reading if anyone feels like they're in the camp of not knowing what to do with their Thoughtseus.
0: He does. I literally thought about two things. I thought about that article, and I thought about the literal PG video called Small Edges but while Derek was talking. Both of those things. Yeah,
1: Both excellent pieces of content. Um if you if you want to think more about that, but to kind of go back to what you were saying about uh, you said that you wanted to play in meta games that were you know lots of lots of the aggro decks mono blue heroic the ones that are easy to to naturally be a position a little bit above what would you say are meta games where you would be le- like you wouldn't want to register red black or you'd have to change a lot about your deck to feel comfortable doing it and how would you how would you adapt it if you're you know an RCQ player who knows that their field is all of, like, or a majority of those bad
2: matchups. If there was, like, if you knew there was, like, three or four Lotus players at your local event, I'd be not happy with registering Red Black. You can play more duresses, go blanks, uh, weather green stones, the like. But Lotus, I won't say it's unwinnable because you can have draws and, like, Lotus, so many, been hit with so many bands that, like, it's, it's not super powerful. It really can't really consistently kill you before turn four or five but uh yeah i'm just lotus is bad and then mono green there is no effectively good 100 percent way to beat mono green out of red black like i say it's a 60 40 but you do kind of have to get lucky which is unfortunate because i think mono green is the
0: most played in the best deck in the format but uh yeah lotus field and mono green and yeah, that's actually straight up, Derek, what I think, too. Like, if those are the two decks you're going to play against, there's not, like, a sideboard configuration that looks great for you. Like, Runestone is, you mentioned that card, right? Like, I, I think that card is actually kind of key into where, like, it fits into both roles. But outside of that, it, it's kind of rough outside of Duress.
2: And the other thing is, like, just because you think those decks are in the room doesn't mean that somebody might still bring Heroic, which, like, I, Heroic's a good matchup. But if you've cut all your anti-aggro cards because you want to beat Lotus this week because you need a lot of cards to beat Lotus, and you get paired into the aggro deck, it's like you could still be like 60-40 against aggro and just hit the 40 percenter because your sideboard isn't built for that.
0: Can I ask a question on this? Because this is you've mentioned some of the decks that I was the most worried about for my RCQ. What do you think of Noxious Grasp?
2: I like Noxious Grasp. I struggle to find a spot for it often. Because it is similar to the Graveyard Trespasser issue, where it kind of covers some things effectively, but at the same time it is not the best card at doing that. And so you're kind of asking this question of what am I really trying to do? And it's like, Am I playing a catch-all or do I just want to play like an abrade or I,
0: I like trespasser? I like this I like this answer a lot because like to me it was like I'm playing Bloodthirsty Adversary, so I want to play more spells in, in my deck right and that was the one that was like okay it's good against green it's good against heroic and it's good against you know decks like decks like um oh my gosh Tank, right like you have perfectly encapsulated my thoughts on why i played the card so i appreciate that
2: yeah i was playing one before shouldered made its way into the deck just because cure is the most problematic card out of mono green Hitting a Grease Fang is important. And then the other, the backup plan out of Grease Fang is a uh, Chariot. And Nox's Draft covers those three things pretty effectively while also covering Mono White, Heroic, Kills Teferi out of Blue White, Niv, whatever, whatever, whatever. But with the printing of Shieldred, I felt a bit more effective against Grease Fang, a bit more effective against Green. And so I am just playing. I think some Extinction Events right now.
0: Oh, I'm playing um, I'm playing Three Extinction, three, three extinction Events, two Rending Volley.
2: Yeah, the, the Rending Volleys are just better against the Mono White players who are trying to aggro-draw me. Because, like, of course, Jesse just tweeted, but it was on the Uprise the past couple of weeks and because it was beating up on Mono Green and all the enig- enigmatic decks. And I think it's one of the cheapest decks to play, one of the easiest decks to pick up, one of the easiest decks to... Get cards for etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So
1: something that we talked about a bit earlier was about understanding role assessment and like assigning yourself a role. Not not even just in the matchup, but within a game that you're playing, and also not even just within like a mid range mirror, but also sometimes you're the beatdown against some of the aggro decks, or like positions where you're the beat down, or you're controlling. Especially with Liliana, you're able to kind of choke out the control decks and try to control the game that way. Can you talk a bit about like how? At least for the ones that are defined kind of by the matchup, how you try to position yourself and how your like preferred role can play into play into your sideboard decisions and how maybe also might affect things where like on the player draw, you might change your approach.
2: Yeah, I guess I'll do the play draw thing first. For the most part, this might be loose uh, as a magic player, but I just don't care about play draw. In general, I, I don't sideboard differently for it. I think it is a silly heuristic to focus on play draw unless you are really, 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 really polarized against a specific matchup and you're in a small card pool where you, you expect to play against that matchup a lot. So in standard, if you're on the play draw, it sometimes it's better to like cut your four drops, add some one drop removals, like in the mono red mirror or something of years past, but like in the formats now. If, my opponent, if I'm playing the mirror and my opponent has Fable on turn three, it's like nothing I can do on the draw really changes that. Except for like having in Thoughtseize And then I am I have this card in my deck that like, okay, I have to draw before turn three. And then I have to make sure I have no other plays by turn three. And it's like, if I have no other plays by turn three, like I'm probably losing to a Blood Tithe Harvester. And it's like, okay, now I'm opening myself up to being exploited. So like in the longest way, like I think play draw is doesn't really matter except for specifically mono green and i've thought about having like completely transitional sideboards for the play draw mono green because elf on one on the draw against mono green is almost a death sentence unless you kill the elf (laughs) and uh just having two strangles in your board raises that percentage but if you have stomp in your deck on the play against mono green and they play elf on one you are just like so far ahead because you can like stomp their elf and then untap play fable and it's like what are they doing Playing a wolf, a havel hey, well, in the car, and okay, like attack you, kill your car, and do the thing. You lose. I have a shoulder,
0: sort of thing, right? So, just to encapsulate this for the listeners, as long as your game plan works on the player of the draw, it doesn't matter. Like you, you, as long as you can make a game plan where the cards that you're bringing in and out do the exact same thing in the game, in the game, it really doesn't matter if you're on the player of the draw.
2: Yeah, I guess this goes back to like the full circle of what is our role. And so when you when you talked about like what role you want to play, what role you assess, when you're on the draw, you're kind of the control deck, right? And and this goes back to back in the past where control decks would put people on the play because they wanted the extra card. This works very similarly to to like I have to make sure that my opponent doesn't snowball me out of control. If if we go exactly one for one, I have an extra card hopefully that card if we're at parody the entire time pushes me over the edge against most decks in the format. That's true, but that also goes about role assessment. And so like there are times where you're on the draw and your opponent is playing a very controlling role. They have like for the mirror, for example, they have some dread bore or some p- fatal pushes or you're playing against blue white and they have some counter spells and you're not jamming or you're playing against mono white. And they're like, they have some brutal cathars or like they just have a bunch of, two ones that aren't really pushing through your, your trespassers. It's like, okay, I've established my role. I am on the draw, so I have the extra cards. And now we get to sort of play as a control deck. And like, obviously, all of it's very contextual and specifics extremely matter. I don't like to play a specific role. I want to be able to be like malleable, I guess. And a lot of that has to do with, I think, like just knowledge of what's going on. And so, like, on the play and draw, that that changed a little bit, but not a lot because, like, the deck is so fluid.
0: I, I actually think that what you said makes a lot of sense as far as Strangle goes. And I'll ask Abe if you agree with this, but, like, because of the state of where magic is, Strangle gets to be good in multiple matchups. Where, if let's say, like, I want to board in Strangle, I, it, it can be good against both. A, an R set deck and a, I don't know, like a any kind of jackal deck. I don't, I don't know what the jackal decks are right now, uh, but it, it actually fills a similar role where it's where it, it gets to fill a kind of this tempo slot for you is kind of how I'm hearing it from you, where you're actually not trying to be the control deck. You're trying to re to Manipulate the game to the resource that Derek wants the game to be about. Is that accurate? Yeah. I'm sorry if I'm being a bit rambly. It doesn't always
2: make exact sense. But in short, yes. I want perfect control over the game. I believe that mid-range decks always do this the best. And red-black is the epitome of the mid-range deck. So, like, when Narset was super popular, when Phoenix and EI were legal, because of the Narset Days Undoing deck, strangle was the first card i put in my deck because it beat the aggro decks that tried to beat them up it targeted the narset which was the only card that can beat you and then you just have this blue red deck that's worse than phoenix because they're trying to synergize and most of their cards don't matter they have like collective the red collective whatever and i think i actually like won a challenge during that time because i just punished the blue red play the blue red decks with narset because they were exploitable and so like I was also beating up on the, the aggro decks because I knew how to play that role. I was beating up on the mirror because they were like really trying to beat the aggro decks. They were really trying to beat monogreen or really trying to beat phoenix. And it's just like I, I exploited a part in the metagame. And yeah, what, what you said is right. Like you do not want to be committed. You want to be able to be fluid. You want to be able to have the choice at all times. It's one of the reasons why I don't like control decks. It's one of the reasons why I don't like aggro decks traditionally. Because you are subscribed to this archetypical idea. If you aren't doing that, you are just going to lose. And with variants and Magic, you're just, percentage of the time, you're just going to play a non-game.
0: Well, let's talk about the set board really quickly before we call it like, is there specific things that you care about, whether it's versus aggro, control, bid range, or even just like, I think there's a lot of contention whether Black, Red, or Monogreen is the best deck, but like, Let's pretend that the best deck is Monogreen for this conversation. Between aggro control, the mid-range marion, Monogreen, like, if there are there things that you care about?
2: I would say that the aggro, like, I have two Rending volleys right now. The reason I have two Rending volleys is because there's not, like, a lot of mono-black aggro, for example. And Rending volleys is also good against Grease Fang. Before, it was Witch's Vengeance because there was Elves around. Um, and sweepers are better against elves than spot removal is against mono white maybe it might go back up to which is vengeance because of mono white becomes a swarm deck with wedding announcement but in general like against aggro you're just kind of really good game one so i'm more inclined to not have as many sideboard slots for them and it really depends on what else i'm trying to target in the metagame if there's a lot of grease fang i'll be playing like a braid noxious grasp maybe some k commands even though they're a bit slow like if there's elves i'm playing which is vengeance i guess like against control like obviously duress is good but the amount i respect control is a lot more contingent on how much i'm respecting decks like enigmatic or creativity because i think they are much worse matchups and as for the mirror i was on invoke despair for a bit i think that card's kind of bad now because like we've talked about a bunch the card that really impacts the game is Liliana and Fable. If your opponent's playing something really good on three, and you're playing something really good on five, it doesn't matter. Your opponent's already done the thing on three. This, you this, can't really catch up.
0: I mean, I need to pause here because, like, I was on Invoke because it was like the best card in the mirror, and then it felt like both Invoke and Go blank turned off really quickly in the mirrors. I played like three mirrors in an RCQ, and it was like, okay, is. Go blank bad is invoke bad. Did I just need the because I I didn't play the the herborg, but like it was very clear the herbord was needed, and then it was like okay, well if all of this is true. What is actually correct? And I I gotta ask you like if the whole question becomes these three drop slots, how do you break serve? Like what do you do?
2: Uh, you just have to be more efficient with your 1 and 2 drops, and I guess that's what encapsulates the whole sideboard plan. Is it, If we're trying to target something, we have to make sure that it also covers one of the other random decks that we might play against. So like if I'm playing against a lot of aggro I expect, I also have to have my cards somehow gain value against like Resbang or Control or whatever. With Invoke, it was just too slow, it was easier to get exploited, people could could commit to the board, is just better, um, does the same thing, cheaper, plays different roles better against aggro, like, I'm more likely to play Wraths, but if I'm also expecting to play against Control, like, I'll respect Control more, because I'm already pre-built to beat aggro. Yeah. For yeah. yeah.
1: I think it's interesting you talked about breaking serve there, uh, and that expression, especially to what we just talked about in, like, play draw, and, uh, like, Strangle specifically, like, the ability to break serve and then having mana-efficient answers and productive um like, productive cards for the game plans you're having. Like, you talked about Bankbuster. One of the big upsides of Bankbuster is, on turn two, of course, it. if you play it, you're blanking every part of Liliana. If they're plusing it, you're able to draw cards to recoup it, even if you can't attack it and kill it immediately. If they're minusing it, they can't minus to kill it, and it, it pressures Liliana immediately. But in all of the rest of the game, it's just card advantage, generically good, in the same way that, like, Strangle... In all the games against mono green, where you don't have to mulligan for that fatal push because you're on the draw in one of your post sideboard games, you're actually getting some form of card advantage out of your game plan being more cohesive. And I think that's like a really important part of um, of breaking serve that I just really wanted to touch on.
2: One of the ways that uh, I've already always assessed how how decks identify themselves is how they use their resources. So aggro decks are trying to invalidate your card advantage by killing you before you can use them. Blue-white is trying to invalidate your card advantage by 2 for one you and making sure that you can't play spells. Mid-range is in the middle. If you can invalidate your opponent's resources, it doesn't matter if they have more cards than you because they're dead, right? And so, again, with, like, role assessment and, like, play draw, it's a lot of small edges and choices. And
0: (laughs) The last matchup that we didn't talk about on the Cyborg plan, though, is one of those where the cyborg plan has to be really specific. And uh, you, I believe if I pulled up your deck that you played life on me this weekend. I did not. Oh, that's good. Cause I actually think it's terrible against monogreen. So I want to talk about, I want to talk about monogreen. Cause I, it's a bad matchup for this deck. Like it, it's not good. Uh, it's by many considered the best deck, but there is this whole thing looming over this deck that we're in a thoughts, format, right? Like, that deck has some mulligan a lot. If you thought sees them, you just sometimes get a win. I want to ask, like, how do you plan for that? How do you... I played Noxious Grasp, as I mentioned earlier in the show, because, like, it was a way that my thought he's Noxious Grasp that bo- deck was just going to be like, yeah, you don't get a play.
2: Yeah, so this goes back to the assessing roles, invalidating their cards. Mono green, if you look at it on paper, is a lot of really high drop cards that impact the format and a lot of mana ramp to get there. The best way I feel to attack Mono Green is to attack their mana, put pressure on the board, and while you're putting pressure on the board, make sure that what you're doing is invalidating their game plan. So if on turn three, or like let's say you push the elf, they play Wolf Hollow Haven, you on turn three play whatever. Just make sure that it can beat Karn. And if they play Karn, you beat the Karn. They have boat. Make sure whatever you're doing is killing them through a boat. And Hopefully the plan is that they're really dependent on that elf or you have a Thoughtseize that can pick apart their turn four play. And that. so a lot about a lot about it is just like you have to assess how they win,
0: and so you have to find the best way to prevent that from happening. Are you the are reason you why Mark... are you too dressing in that matchup then? How else how you gonna let them cast the car get understand. the it? I wanna understand how many one drop I like you have two duressing your sideboard. Are you boarding them or not, Derek? <laughs> you're I'm deciding? not. You're like, you're flipping a coin? <laughs> you're not? I'm not. I'm not. Okay. I'm not. It, it. It's one of the, like, same with
2: go blank. There was a lot of talk in my Discord about go blank on the play, go blank on the draw. When, like, should I board and duress? I, I don't know. I don't do it because I think that it's too polarizing. Sure. And the times where you miss, when you cast it, you're losing. And the times when you draw it late and it doesn't do anything, you're losing. Sure. Same thing with like Ley Line of the Void. And I don't, I don't want to raise those percentages. I don't okay. I don't want to like add that percentage to my loss count. Do I think that bringing in duress is bad? No. If you brought <laughs> it in and you're like, okay, I believe that I can't beat a karn if it resolves or I need to hit a storm or I need to hit a Nissa. Yeah. Just make sure that it's logical. Just make sure that it makes sense. It's part of your game plan. I, if it functions it. as thoughts five and six,
1: yeah, go on. I, I, was, I, I was gonna it. say I love it on the draw as I, as red black personally. I, I also love Quantum it Rain. on the
0: draw. That's actually why I asked this question. I know that Derek's not a fan of the play of the draws from early in the show, but like I, I do I do think that your logic, right, where you're asking yourself why? Why are you doing this thing? That is way more important, and we've preached this on this podcast in Ad nauseum. so I'm not, I'm not going to do it more, but, like, asking yourself like, why do I want to do this is way more important than anything else. Uh, we're going to do some rapid-fire questions just right now, Derek. Okay? What cards should people know about moving forward? Shoulder's good.
2: I like that card. I think it's it's not better than Kalidus. The people keep asking me, is it better than Kalidus? No. They both just serve different roles. Liliana is not as good as people think it is. Um, what else? What else on the sideboard? I don't know why people are playing Bile Blight. People should probably play more Witch's Vengeance. I think. A break. What are you doing with that Hitted Oh, that card is only for the sacrifice matchup. Because if you don't respect sacrifice, you can't beat it.
0: Uh, um, the matchup's real bad. I agree. I I gotta say something really quick because I agree with what Derek just said, and I wanna highlight it that. If you are familiar with the Abe Stein, Michaela Downs, Spencer Howland version of Red Black, you might be familiar with this card called Hazaret. And Shieldred is just that card that's way better in the deck. It's like the exact same thing, way less mana to (laughs) get. Yeah, it's just like it's the same thing but better. (laughs) And when everybody and and
2: you can go and play your proactive game plan. Exactly, it's the
0: same card. Uh, So. What are the decks you want to play against the most?
2: Heroic. I don't think there's anything else. I just want to play against heroic all day. If you were like, yeah, just heroic. What are your I, I'm really on, like, hoping. Phoenix
0: and, and other blue red decks. Phoenix,
2: I think, is not playable in the format. Yeah, uh, you heard it here first. I think if you're registering Phoenix, you're you're deciding that you want to spew money, and I don't want to play against Phoenix because Phoenix is playing one of the best cards in the format, and I think Phoenix is the second most powerful deck in the format, but I also think that it's not very good. But I, I just don't want to play against it. I, I don't. I don't want to play. Like I, I find Phoenix is very high variance. I don't like playing against high variance decks because I will just lose. Sometimes.
0: <laughs> uh, what are the? If you were to say two decks other than things that you don't want to play against, what are they? Uh,
2: Enigmatic, I guess. I don't want to play against that. I, I just like it. Also feels random and. Every enigmatic deck has like five new cards that I've never read before <laughs> that I have to read and I, I don't like doing that like just play agents of treachery against me. I don't want to see if you brought in the the green titan or if you're playing Visidrix or you're like
0: getting komod?
2: Yeah, I'm not. I really hope is the try coma. Oh. To, to
0: Visidrix in against you Derek. That sounds real <laughs> winnable for you. If they are playing something like incarnation or mono green what do you, what is your plan there like what how, how do you stop that is it just thoughtsies or is there something else Thoughties is the biggest thing it a
2: lot of like the matchups where you're like oh i can't beat the thing if they do the thing it's just thoughtsies put threats on the table kill them hope they break sometimes you, you need a den in there because den is just lightning x. yeah or
0: lava x. do you do you not ever so th- one of the things that i've been doing is boarding out Bloodthirsty adversary in the mirror. I think I think it's like, oh yeah, I like your face. This actually is a really good learning opportunity for me. Where like in the mirror, while it is good on the play, it is kind of bad on the draw. And I was kind of curious your thoughts on it against anything other than where you really want to pressure them. You will clearly disagree by your facial expressions. I got to hear about it. I just like I only bring in four
2: cards and I cut four thoughtsies.
0: I okay. I don't. <laughs> So like What do you do when you might your rest? That can't be true. In in the mirror? No, no, no. Just overall. Like uh, what what oh. I'm asking about specifically is when you think about like the matchups that you like or don't like, is Bloodthirsty Adversary or like you have all these four right? Like Bloodthirsty Adversary Stomp, Graveyard Trespasser. How do you decide what is good and what is bad?
2: I think Bloodthirsty Adversary mm-hmm. might be the best creature in the deck. Wait and, are we talking about blood Tithe harvester or bloodthirsty
0: adversary uh, I, um, we, we're talking about blood, blood Tithe harvester black it's red yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. right three two got confused by myself so that's my yeah. fault and I apologize Derek. but we're talking about the three two yeah, yep the one that, that makes a blood yeah
2: yeah, I think that's the best creature in the deck. It sounds kind of stupid because like shoulder's in the deck. but like I can't think of a better card that I would want on two mana. like I'm playing a tenacious underdog because it's a three two. With flashback, and Blood Tide Harvester is just better than that. It's good against every deck in the format. I
0: don't know a format where I don't want Blood Tide Harvester. Is there any changes you'd make to your deck tomorrow before people pick up this deck when they listen to this podcast?
2: Uh, I would add more Wraths, it's low to the ground Wraths, which is Vengeance. Path of Peril is not as good, obviously. Meat Hook Massacre with Jesse tweeting about Mono White. I think that people are going to realize that mono white is good against mono green, good against the go over the top enigmatic decks, creativity decks. And it's sure. just going to swarm everything. So then you then have you to like respect- go to like
0: five five one drop removal spells in the main, or are you going to stay up four?
2: It's hard. Strangle is actively bad against everything, but uh, mono green and some of the aggro decks. Sure. And the most most of the aggro decks you're already good against. So I would rather have a card for the mirror that I think is more effective. And then the other thing is like, what am I cutting? Because I, I like everything else, for the most part. Abe,
0: anything you want to say before we give him the Patreon question?
2: No, I was just going to hit him with the patron questions.
1: Smack so we got them. some questions from our patrons over patreon.com. Mikey asks, hi, Mr. Ginger. Uh, how does it feel to know every red-black player in Pioneer basically just copies your list?
2: <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot of like random responsibility that I was not ready for when I first started like streaming and making Patreon content because like people just like attribute it to me. So it's like, like we, we talked about like the duress thing. Uh, I don't think I know more than most other people who are playing things. The most important thing, as long as you're thinking about what you're doing and your, your plans make sense. And this is what I've been trying to tell people. And everybody's like, Junior playing this, this week, uh, chatting, uh, I'm not doing this. Or Edgar tweeted about no trespasser. Like I'm not going to play ginger's bad. Cause he's playing four trespassers. Like, like, like stop it. Like, let, Dude, let's all take a step back. Like
0: Derek, you're literally describing my relationship with team or scapeshift, like in a real way where like my team or scapeshift list, like won a bunch of freaking five O's and like, whatever the thing was back then. And then like, people were like, well, what is Spencer doing on his YouTube channel? I feel that so deeply. And you're like, you know what? Like at some point, you need to decide what is, like you you need to make role assignment yourself and like understand how to build your own deck. Like, don't get me wrong, it's sweet. I made a bunch of money off making red black
2: content. Like, thank you everybody for uh, copying all my list and doing exactly what I say. Um, and they won money
0: too, for what it's worth. Let's not pretend that you just made money. They oh, also made oh. money. Yes, yes, for the low low price on my Patreon. But yeah, it, it
2: is a lot of uh, weird responsibility, and it, it's not a bad thing. It, I, I enjoy it. Don't get me wrong, I wouldn't stream if I didn't enjoy the attention. Also, hello Mikey, how are you? It was really funny this week, because
1: I, I wound up losing in uh, top 4 of the last RCQ of the season. But Ginger knew that I had top 8 the RCQ before I told him, because someone... F- who like played his deck list tweeted the picture of the top eight photo of him in it and i was also
2: in it and he was like i didn't know you had the rsq
1: go i didn't know you top eight and i was like yeah so
2: it's a while yeah. greater thing for sure in my uh in my discord there was like like five or six people in the southern or north cal uh like an RCQ, it was like a decent sized RCQ. And one person's in one of my tabs, like talking about their record and posting the stands be like, Oh, I top baited. And somebody's in another tab talking about how they came ninth or something. And another person's like, Oh, I was also at that RCQ. Turns out like five or six people all at that RCQ were playing the exact same list. And some guy at the event was like, man, these red black players are stupid. All they do is copy ginger. And one of the dudes was like, yeah, he's just, Building the best deck or whatever, and just like, like what? Why am I getting dragged into this? Like, I, I, I just turn on a camera for a couple hours And day. Uh,
0: you know, like, yeah. The next question is, what interaction or specific cards made red black the correct mid range choice of Pioneer? I kind of already answer this with with Fable. So I want you, I want you give a different answer than Fable. Fable is the biggest one. Uh, the removal is the second biggest one.
2: Chandra before Shouldered and Lily were printed was the best answer to a lot of things in the format and was the best thing that allowed you to go from mid to late game. Um, Tireless Tracker being an X2 also made it really weak to Bone Crusher Giant and the the other card is Bone Crusher Giant. The times where Bone Crusher Giant is just a two for one against aggro, you can't lose. That's what made the deck really, really good when Winota was around. Because everybody was just trying to race Winota. Winota, like, obviously was busted and was the best deck in the format. But if you wanted a fighting chance in that
0: format, you probably had to be playing Bonecrusher Giants of some sort. Derek, if people want to find you, find your content, and find out where they can learn more about this red-black deck, where are you going to do that?
2: Patreon.com slash ginger. I also stream at twitch.tv uh, slash ginger, or you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com ginger.
0: And if they and... want to follow Mason on Twitter, whatever they do that.
2: He cha- he got booted off Twitter, so I don't even know. It's not Mason Esports Clark is anymore, is it?
0: It's like Man, Mason Clark. The, the like literal pretend to not know dagger has been thrown. <laughs> I should just said I'll who's say. Mason. That would have been funnier.
1: <laughs> this is the only. This is the only week we can actually have Derek on and plug his stuff. So I know, Mace like, right, job, like, because so like if Mason he,
0: was here, it'd be cut off before he could plug his own. Yeah,
1: be losing ground. <laughs>
0: Derek. Yeah, go go follow Derek
1: so that uh, Mason has to work a little harder to catch him.
0: No, I'm Team Mason. Let's go, Mason. Like we're we're all in on the bit that he I'm has in for to a have a good more fight. followers. I in for like. A good, I, a good, I like that. You know what? I feel like he gave you like 300 <laughs> on the fight by like getting banned.
2: Yeah, he actually gave me like 2,000. Yeah, like a, <laughs> I think he's under 2K <laughs> right now. But like it's it's so nice that I don't have to worry about Twitter fighting with him because I like have <laughs> spent so much time Twitter fighting with Andy, and oh. you know I I can only have one personal.
0: And, Andy's supposed to do some Phoenix versus other fight with me on the YouTube channel, but I've been so busy. Uh, shout out to Andy, his do- I think his daughter just turned one. Go him! Wow, imagine having children. I, <sighs> it's unreal, man. Let me tell you, uh, Derek. Thank you so much for joining us um i actually had a great time and i really appreciate doing it is there anything you want to say to our listeners before we go uh thanks for listening shout
2: out mason who couldn't be here today and he's his
0: girlfriend
2: he's yeah. He done it. yeah 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 but, but like you know you gotta make it seem like he's missing us or
0: something right like
2: he's he's, like he's missing out
0: he's not what come on I mean, all don't right. get me wrong. I think Abe and I are better than his girlfriend. Don't get like, let's.
2: It, it is really hard being the best person, the best magic player in Tennessee. Like,
0: uh, <laughs> don't get me wrong. Like, yeah. that's a big burden to carry. Uh, As yeah. the best magic player in Utah, that's not true. It's just not true. It's just not that hard.
2: All right. Shout out Mason.
0: Love you all. <laughs> well, Thank you, Derek. and we'll be back at the end of this episode. Our YouTube comment after Derek has gone here, Abe, is keep up the great work. I really appreciate the dedication y'all do towards these videos. I want to talk really quickly about our sponsor at Gingrid Lehigh, that they have allowed us to use our platform to promote their 1K Plus events. Thousands of thousands and thousands of views. Magic Coverage is not getting it. They also, anytime that you are... May still want to do it just like locally they're just willing to do it I, i i just love it yeah i think i think it's really awesome how much they're doing to support not only their
1: scene but i know there's so many people who uh will stumble upon a wealth of good coverage or a good tournament to just watch and throw on in the background and uh all of that really lends itself to Magic being as cool as it is. So I really appreciate that support for the game in general from uh, from our sponsors at at GG Lehigh.
0: For what it's worth, this actually came from uh, me and Mason while you were gone talking about Standard. And I just have to ask you, what are your thoughts? Like, you've been kind of stepped back from Magic. Like, you're approaching Standard with this new Standard RCQ season. Like, where are you starting?
1: Yeah, my starting point for Standard right now has been... Focusing on the black mid-range decks, I think there's just like... I forget who said it on Twitter, but it was like... The best card in the format is probably Fable the Mirror Breaker or Wedding Announcement. And then beyond those, every other good card is black. Like the the rest of the top ten. And so I really want to find a deck that plays those effectively. Probably like Black-White featuring the Wandering Emperor. I haven't really been letting myself get too attached to standard because... I know that the Brothers War is coming out soon. And it'll um, come
0: out before the ERC even happens. So
1: Exactly. And so I, I'm really trying to just keep tabs on what the cards that are performing are and really what the what the emerging play patterns are important exploits of them are so that I know the holes that I'll be looking to fill or the angles I'll be trying to approach from when the time comes for that standard season in, in more depth.
0: You can tell the rest of the C-70 now ccmpg Network over at constructedcriticism.com. Uh, whether it's the Common Knowledge Podcast or the Drafting Archetypes Podcast, like, sub, review, comment, all of those things help, and we will see you next time on Constructed Criticism.